This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Many times in the last couple of years, I find that I've come back over and over again to the familiar verse, Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And that's so important because we're living in a season where so much is going on. And what I'd like to say is that no matter what it looks like, no matter what you're going through, as hard as it is to imagine, everything is for you. It doesn't mean that all the things that happen are good. Rather, What it does mean is that God will use all of the circumstances to show you his good and his best. And he will teach us a lot about how he keeps us through the trials and the tribulations that we go through. So recently, I was experiencing an illness, and it took me a long time to recover from the illness. It was not a serious illness. It was not an illness unto death. However, it was an illness that kept me kind of slowed down and closer to the home front than I usually tend to be. And in this illness, I believe that God was using it to get my attention and to do a bit of a reset. And if you listen to my Wednesday two-minute social media video, then you heard me talk about what I called God's calendar. And God's calendar is the calendar he has in mind and in place for us according to the purpose that he has for our lives. And there are times he will take good things off of our calendar, not because there's really anything wrong with those items, rather because he has something better that he wants us to do or something different that he wants us to focus on. And sometimes, even through an illness, God uses that time for meditation, for contemplation, and to initiate a reset in our lives. So if you're not listening to the Wednesday two-minute social media video, if you're connected to me on any of our social media channels, whether that be Facebook, LinkedIn, Alignable, and Instagram, and others, Join me on Wednesdays and you'll hear the two-minute video. The thing we want to remember is that God is omniscient, so he knows what's coming down the pike. He knows a lot more than we do, and sometimes he's making room for those things that we don't see and that we don't know that are coming, and he's removing again those good things to prepare for his best in our lives. So that is a way to look at sickness. And particularly if it's just routine sickness, it's not where you're suffering greatly and it's not unto death. This may just be a time for meditating with God and really paying attention to what he's saying in that season. The other time that I'll mention are times when there's a death in our lives, a death of someone really close to us, 
of loved ones, people who are close and significant. And sometimes God is speaking through those circumstances as well. And I remember when my maternal grandmother died and I managed to be in Baltimore at the time, didn't know I really needed to be there. Although I remember my mother saying to me that maybe I might want to come home and she didn't really go into any details. Somehow though, I managed to be there. And as it turned out, there was a huge, huge snowstorm, a blizzard. In fact, my grandmother was in the hospital, which I didn't even know. I didn't know she was in the hospital. I didn't even know that she was sick at that point. So it became my job to talk to the doctors, to figure out what was going on, to make some important decisions and so on. I also wanted to get to the hospital because the doctors were saying, you know, she was not going to last very long. And because of the blizzard, there was no way I could get to the hospital, no matter what I tried to do. There were a couple of my first cousins who my grandmother raised who managed to somehow get through that snow and get to the hospital. So later on, and this was something I was lamenting, how come I couldn't get there before she died? So we were at the funeral and we were at the repast of the funeral. And one of my cousins who did get to the hospital said to me, he says, you know, when I was there and I got there, grandmother kept telling me to leave, go home. I don't want you here right now. Go home. You need to go and you need to leave. And he said to me, it was very clear to him that she really didn't want us at the hospital. This was not the way she wanted us to remember her. My grandmother had always been a very strong person. She was a central character in my family, on my mother's side of the family. And she was kind of like the backbone, if you will, of the family. And so my cousin told me, you know, maybe it wasn't an accident that you weren't there. She probably wouldn't have wanted you to be there. And that was very encouraging to me because I didn't know that, nor would I ever have imagined it. So I could see that even with me not knowing what was going on, God set the circumstances so that I really couldn't get there anyway, even though I was so close and yet so far away, given that I live in Colorado, I was in the right city, I was in the right state at the right time, and still could not get to the hospital. I'm also reminded of the time when my mother died, because what happened in that situation is I was supposed to go to Northern Virginia for a job commitment that's not far from Baltimore. And I figured I'll just plan to visit the family after that job and visit them on the back end. As it turned out, before I even left Colorado, the job was downgraded to a conference call. And I thought that was strange because I certainly wouldn't have flown all the way to the East Coast to take a conference call. Yet I didn't cancel the trip because I said I could still visit the family. And by the time I landed in Baltimore and had been there a day or two, the conference call was actually canceled. So the job I went there for didn't exist anymore, yet God used that occasion to bring me to Baltimore at that time, and I would not have come to Baltimore at that time. So this was really interesting to me, and it was really amazing how this all turned out. When I got there, my mother had to move from the facility where she was, so I was busy every day helping to pack up her room. And we had all of this 
really focus time just to talk to one another during those last days. I didn't know it was her last day. She had had many crises before, and there was no reason for me to believe these were last days. However, I was packing, and we were talking, and we were visiting. And I remember one Friday night in particular, and she really liked the matzo ball soup at the diner that was across the street from the facility where she was staying. So I said, do you want me to go over and get some matzo ball soup? She said, okay. I went over, I got the matzo ball soup. She tried to eat it, but she really couldn't eat very much. And yet, you know, I wanted her to have something that I knew that she really enjoyed. The next day was a Saturday. And before I could even get out of the house to get back to visit with her, the facility called and said that she had taken ill and they had taken her to the hospital. So then I went to the hospital to visit her, and she was not, I would say, conscious. She was conscious, but she was not in a state of being able to communicate or to be reached. Now, my mother had gotten sick like that many, many times before, where you couldn't really reach her, you couldn't really talk to her, but she was not technically unconscious or in a coma or anything as such. But I recall that prior to that, on Friday night, The very last word she said to me, she thanked me for being a really good daughter and so on and so forth. And those were special, special words that she shared with me on Friday. And in my case, those were the last words I ever heard her say. She was in the hospital for another two weeks and about a week or so into her hospitalization, the hospital nurses and doctors said, okay, this is it. She's not going to be here much longer than 24 hours. And so anybody who wants to come to see her, you want to make sure that they get here. So we contacted all the relatives. We made sure that everyone had an opportunity to get to the hospital. And we all convened at the hospital. We were all around her bed visiting with her, all of her children, all four of us, her granddaughter and various ones. It was just a wonderful time. She did not, again, speak to us or regain consciousness in the way that I'm referring to it. Yet we were all there around the bed and we were there with her. Now, she did not die that day or within 24 hours or anything. She went on to live an additional week, which really shocked the hospital staff. They did not expect her to be there for another week. And during this last week, I was supposed to now have been back in Colorado for a job that I had to do there. And I couldn't decide whether I should go back or not. And so I contacted my really good friends, people who are Christians, deep prayer warriors. I called United Airlines to see if the flight fares were reasonable. Flight fares were reasonable. I could easily fly back to Colorado and fly back to Baltimore at a reasonable rate. That wasn't a problem. All of my friends said that they thought, well, there's no reason you could fly back home and do this. Bottom line, I did not have peace about it. And the more I talked to God about it, and I still didn't have peace about it, when I decided in my mind, you know what, I just need to cancel that job and I just need to stay. As soon as I made that decision, that's when I had the peace of God. So I knew I was supposed to stay in Baltimore. As it turned out, I would not have had time to fly back to Colorado and get back at the time my mother was going to leave the earth. Because I stayed in Baltimore, I ended up being there at the time of her death. So on the day that she died, 
the hospital called and said, you need to get here as soon as possible. It happened to be a day that my father had gone to the grocery store on his usual pattern. He typically would come back at 11 o'clock in the morning and he wasn't back. And this was unusual. And in the meantime, my brothers are calling me, you need to get to the hospital. And I didn't have a car because I normally would drive my father's car. I just didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, my stepbrother came to the house, which he never does at that time of day. And I asked him if he would take me to the hospital, which he agreed to do. So he takes me to the hospital. Eventually, my father comes home with the car, although I wasn't there anymore. And so one of my brothers, the oldest one, decided to leave. He was going to come back later with my niece and different people were coming and going. So my youngest brother and I were at the hospital together. And eventually, the minister of my mother's church and his wife, they came, and a new friend of my mother and her friend's husband came to the hospital. We were all around her bed, and this was the beginning of the time that she was about to die, which we didn't know. So we were all gathered, and the way I thought about it, my youngest brother and I, we represented the family. I'm the oldest child. My youngest brother was the youngest child, so we were the bookend children, as I call us. The minister and his wife represented the church, and this friend and her husband represented the community. So we were all around my mother's bed. We were singing hymns. We were praying, doing different things, and we watched the monitors. My youngest brother and I just slowly, slowly ticked down, slowly, slowly ticked down until finally her heart had stopped, her breathing had stopped. And the nurse came in and said, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. And she just died peacefully the way my mother would have wanted to die, which is surrounded by family and friends and the church community. Those people who didn't want to be there, they weren't there. The ones she didn't want to be there, they weren't there. And the ones that would have wanted to be there, we were all present. That amazed me that it turned out that way. And I realized that even my father not coming back with the car was relevant because it meant that my youngest brother and I, we left the hospital together. Neither one of us were driving alone. And I remember when I was pushing the wheelchair, the empty wheelchair, which was my mother's wheelchair, out of the hospital. And then Jeffrey, my youngest brother and I, we were in the car together and driving back to my father's house. So what I can say about that is every little detail was orchestrated for a reason and a purpose. And if I had had my father's car, Jeffrey and I would have driven separately out of the hospital, though I think it was God's plan that we were together rather than alone. When my mother died, it was about a week before Thanksgiving, and her funeral was right before Thanksgiving. And she never wanted to die during a major holiday. She thought this would be traumatizing for her children. And she especially didn't want to die at Christmas. And about a year or two before that, she was in the hospital under very similar conditions where she was not conscious in the hospital, at least in terms of being able to communicate with us. And she was very concerned. I knew she was concerned because it was right before Christmas. (laughs) So that Christmas, I'm there, and I'm never there at Christmas (laughs) since I've been married, but I was there because she was sick. And on Christmas Day, all of us were at my father's house, except for my oldest brother, who decided to go to the hospital first. 
So he's at the hospital. And while he was there, my mother woke up and she said, bring me some food. And then she also talked to the doctor and told him off because he had told us she was going to die. She said, what's this you telling my children I'm going to die at Christmas? This would have been a nightmare from her perspective. She never would have wanted to destroy a ruined Christmas. So that didn't happen. She went on to live and now she's dying right before Thanksgiving. And the way I choose to look at it, her death has never, ever ruined Thanksgiving for me. Every year, At the time of Thanksgiving, I always think about her. My mother lived a very thankful life, even though she died young at 64 years old. And even though the last 15 years of her life, she lived in significant disability. And yet she was thankful for what was remaining. She was thankful for the blessings that she had. And if you went to visit her and to cheer her up, she would find a way to cheer you up and also to share something with you and to give you something to take away. She was a very generous person, a very thankful person. And so I feel as though she left us a legacy of thanksgiving and generosity. So when thanksgiving comes, I remember her legacy and I remember what she taught us and I remember what I actually learned from her. And I think it's all a matter of perspective, how you look at these events. You can choose to see God in the events and how he's working in the events and truly be in awe of how he orchestrates things. Even though you don't know and I don't know what's going on, God knows everything that is going on. So when I look back on these incidents, I think about the providence of God. And I'll share one more example about a death. And I don't think I've ever spoken publicly about this one. And this is a time when my father-in-law died in Washington State. My husband and I knew that he was sick. And so we went back to Washington State to see the family and to visit with him. He was in the hospital and then he was in a nursing facility after that. And the family would go to visit him mostly in the daytime And my husband and I, being night people, we took the night shift. So we would be there in the evenings to visit with my father-in-law. And it was around Christmas time. And since it was Christmas time, this one particular night, my husband and I were out doing some Christmas shopping. And it had gotten a little bit late. And we were trying to decide, well, should we go to the nursing facility or not? And the way this facility worked There was no restriction on what time you could come. You could be there early. You could be there late. You could come anytime you wanted to come. And so something just was weighing on my heart and saying that we needed to go. I said, no, I think we need to go to the nursing facility. So we went. We went to see my father-in-law. And while we were there visiting, he was mostly resting quietly in the bed. And we were talking to him somewhat, and occasionally he would also talk to us, although the things he was saying weren't clear. and We could not discern what he was talking about, even though we had asked him to repeat some things. It just seemed to be kind of like gibberish in a sense. However, there was one thing he said, which was the most clear and lucid thing he said that evening. And that was, he said, we have a visitor. And of course, being the inquisitive person that I am, I asked him about who it was. And he wouldn't say he was, he shut up after that. 
He didn't say any more about it. But my husband and I certainly remember clearly him saying we have a visitor. At the time, I don't think I fully understood what that meant, although I think my husband had a pretty good idea about what it meant. We were both standing on either side of the bedside for a while, and my father-in-law just went back into just a calm, relaxed um, place. We were sitting in a chair at the foot of the bed, so we went back to that chair, and we sat there for a while, and then we fell asleep. We fell asleep probably for about five minutes no longer than about five minutes. And then we woke up and we were talking about whether we should start going back to the hotel or not. And as we got up and we went back to the bed to my husband said, I don't think my father is breathing. And I looked and I said, you might be right. And we checked him. He was still warm and everything, but we couldn't detect any heartbeat. So I went to the nurse's station, got the nurses. They came, checked things out and they said, he's gone. And so we had been there, and my father-in-law died quietly and peacefully, just like my mother died quietly and peacefully. And it was just interesting how that was. It was late at night. We called all the family members. We let them know. And then my husband's youngest brother actually came to the facility with us, and we all waited there until the funeral home came. Now, this all was right before Christmas, and my father-in-law's funeral was two days before Christmas. And my sister-in-law, who is the oldest of the three children, she made a decision that the funeral should definitely be before Christmas, which was a good decision. And that's what happened in the family. So again, when I think about this, I think about the love of God. I think about the mercy of God. I think about the omniscience of God. We were all there for the funeral. And we were all there for the Christmas holiday after the funeral. And to this day, I would say that there's been no diminishment of Christmas as a result of these events. So again, it all depends on how you look at how God is moving and how you look at what he's allowed. I was amazed that in all three of these incidents I'm telling you about, God got us to the right place at the right time. And he had us to participate in what he wanted us to participate in, both for ourselves and for other family members. And these are precious memories and precious times, even though the death of a parent is not pleasant. The death of a grandparent is not pleasant. And yet God is with us, even in those losses, and even in those unpleasant circumstances. And if you look carefully and with eyes of spiritual vision, you can see how he works all things together for our good, even in the losses. So when I think about God being there in the big stuff, such as loss of life, illness, or whatever, God is also there in what I'll call the small stuff the disappointments in life that occur, the things that can happen at work. When you think about mispromotions and you think about, you know, someone has gotten a promotion that you thought that you should get. And I want to remind you of Psalm 75, verses 6 through 8, which says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. 
And that's the way you have to look at it. God is doing something, everything, really for his intentions and for his purposes. And you might look around and say, how did so-and-so get that promotion? I'm far more qualified than they are. Well, maybe God wants that person to learn something on that job. Maybe you don't need to learn that lesson right now. Or maybe he thinks you need to have some additional preparation and there may be an interim step for you rather than going directly to that promotion. Or he has something better. And for you to take that job would stand in the way of the open door that's better that's coming down the pike. So the bottom line is that we know that God is the one who does promotions for people. He's the one that opens and closes doors. You might also wonder, well, how is it that I didn't get a raise that I was expecting or I didn't get a particular bonus that I thought I deserved or was supposed to get? And God might be asking you, will you work as unto me anyway, in spite of whatever has happened on the work front? Will you still honor me in your service to your employer? And that's an important question. And it's one that we all really need to think about as we go about our lives. There are also times when Maybe it's not the workplace where we have a disappointment. It could be on the home front. Maybe we have a child that is severely ill, going through tremendous difficulty. And there are many children like that that we're praying for today because they're really going through tough and difficult times and circumstances. Perhaps you have a child, an adult child, a teenage child who's wayward. Maybe they're a prodigal son or daughter. God is asking you, will you learn to leave them on his altar and to pray over them, knowing that he knows what is best for them and he's the one that's watching over them? So those of us who belong to God, those of us who are Christians, we also face challenges just like everyone else on this earth and on this globe. We are living in a fallen world, a fallen earth, and like any other human beings on this planet, we're going to go through difficulties and tough times. And if we didn't have these experiences, if we didn't have these challenges like other people do, we couldn't relate to our fellow human beings. When I think about the famous singer Mahalia Jackson I don't know, she said, how I got over. She would say, I don't know how I got over, but she says, my soul sits back and wonders how I got over. And we wouldn't be able to tell anybody about how we got over if we hadn't seen God show up in the sick room. We hadn't seen God show up through the valley in the shadow of death. And yet we do see God in all of these circumstances, whether it's something going on with ourselves, with our children, or maybe it's a marriage that breaks up. And we have to trust God and learn that we are loved by God, even when people disappoint us, even when they leave us, that God is the one who consoles us and leads us through these periods of loneliness. It's at that moment that he can teach us and show us what a friend we really have in Jesus. 
or even for those times when you're betrayed by a friend. Jesus was betrayed by a so-called friend, Judas. And it's in those moments that we learn to love and trust God and to know that he loves us and that we are beloved to him. So everything that we go through, God uses it for our good. And not only for us, he uses it so that we can also encourage others as they go through the difficulties that they're going through in life. So as we close today, I'd like to share scriptures from Hebrews, the 13th chapter, and we'll start with verses 5 through 7. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then I'm going to drop down to verses 20 and 21, which say, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as you go through this week, remember, God is for you. And when God is for you, who can be against you? And remember that God has promised never to leave you, nor to forsake you, no matter what you go through. And this is the good news that you can share with others who are also going through trials and tribulations, even in your workplace. So reflect the glory of God in all you do. Let others know that they are not alone. God has not abandoned them. He will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you and with others. Hello, it's Dr. Karen here, and I'm here to celebrate the work of the Bible League, which is a global ministry that provides Bibles, ministry study materials, and through activities like Project Philip, also teaches and trains local people in how to share the Word of God. So today, the president and CEO of the Bible League, Yos Snoop, is with me to share a little bit more about what the Bible League is doing. Yeah, the beauty of the local church is that it is the body of Christ, and it is the Holy Spirit that is calling the, the local church to be engaged in the Great Commission. As Bible League, we just come alongside those local pastors. Last year, I met a pastor. His name is Rolando in the Amazon, and he has this great vision to reach 200 communities with the Word of God. And we're able to come alongside them and help them with Bibles and resources. Thank you so much, Yos. We are all partners together. You, the Bible League, are the hands and feet to the local people on the ground, and there are partners and donors out there who can be hands and feet to you as you also share with others. So those of you who are listening, if you want to be part of this ministry, and I invite you to be a part of it, I'm a part of it, go to BibleLeague.org, see more about the ministry, and see how you can participate 
and donate. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.